Section 21 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. Section 21. We sailed along there, not in sight of the shore only, but so near as to see the ships in the road at Fort St. David, Fort St. George, and at the other factories along that shore, as well as along the coast of Golconda, carrying our English ancient when we came near the Dutch factories, and Dutch colors when we passed by the English factories. We met with little purchase upon this coast, except two small vessels of Golconda, bound across the bay with bales of calicoes and muslins and wrought silks, and fifteen bales of romals, from the bottom of the bay, which were going, on whose account we knew not, to Achin, and to the other ports on the coast of Malacca. We did not inquire to what place in particular, but we let the vessels go, having none but Indians on board. In the bottom of the bay we met with a great junk belonging to the Mogul's court, with a great many people, passengers as we supposed them to be, it seems they were bound for the river Hugli, or Ganges, and came from Sumatra. This was a prize worth taking indeed, and we got so much gold in her, besides other goods, which we did not meddle with, pepper in particular, that it had like to have put an end to our cruise, for almost all my men said we were rich enough, and desired to go back again to Madagascar. But I had other things in my head still, and when I came to talk with them, and set friend William to talk with them, we put such further golden hopes into their heads that we soon prevailed with them to let us go on. The next design was to leave all the dangerous straits of Malacca, Singapore, and Sunda, where we could expect no great booty, but what we might light on in European ships, which we must fight for. And though we were able to fight, and wanted no courage, even to desperation, yet we were rich too, and resolved to be richer, and took this for our maxim, that while we were sure the wealth we sought was to be had without fighting, we had no occasion to put ourselves to the necessity of fighting for that which would come upon easy terms. We left, therefore, the Bay of Bengal, and, coming to the coast of Sumatra, we put in at a small port, where there was a town, inhabited only by Malays, and here we took in fresh water, and a large quantity of good pork, pickled up and well salted, notwithstanding the heat of the climate, being in the very middle of the torrid zone, viz. in three degrees fifteen minutes north latitude. We also took on board both our vessels forty hogs alive, which served us for fresh provisions, having abundance of food for them, such as the country produced, such as guams, potatoes, and a sort of coarse rice, good for nothing else but to feed the swine. We killed one of these hogs every day, and found them to be excellent meat. We took in also a monstrous quantity of ducks, 
and cocks and hens, the same kind as we have in England, which we kept for change of provisions, and, if I remember right, we had no less than two thousand of them, so that at first we were pestered with them very much, but we soon lessened them by boiling, roasting, stewing, etc., for we never wanted while we had them. My long projected design now lay open to me, which was to fall in amongst the Dutch Spice Islands, and see what mischief I could do there. Accordingly, we put out to sea the 12th of August, and passing the line on the 17th, we stood away due south, leaving the Straits of Sunda and the Isle of Java on the east, till we came to the latitude of 11 degrees 20 minutes, when we steered east and east-northeast, having easy gales from the west-southwest, till we came among the Moluccas, or Spice Islands. We passed those seas with less difficulty than in other places, the winds to the south of Java being more variable, and the weather good, though sometimes we met with squally weather and short storms, but when we came in among the Spice Islands themselves, we had a share of the monsoons, or trade winds, and made use of them accordingly. The infinite number of islands which lie in these seas embarrassed us strangely, and it was with great difficulty that we worked our way through them. Then we steered for the north side of the Philippines, when we had a double chance for purchase, viz., either to meet with the Spanish ships from Acapulco, on the coast of New Spain, or we were certain not to fail of finding some ships or junks of China, who, if they came from China, would have a great quantity of goods of value on board, as well as money, or, if we took them going back, we should find them laden with nutmegs and cloves from Banda and Ternate or from some of the other islands. We were right in our guesses here to a tittle, and we steered directly through a large outlet, which they call a strait, though it be fifteen miles broad, and to an island they call Dammer, and from thence north-north-east to Banda. Between these islands we met with a Dutch junk, or vessel, going to Amboina. We took her without much trouble, and I had much ado to prevent our men murdering all the men, as soon as they heard them say they belonged to Amboina. The reasons, I suppose, any one will guess. We took out of her about sixteen tons of nutmegs, some provisions, and their small arms, for they had no great guns, and let the ship go. From thence we sailed directly to the Banda Island, or islands, where we were sure to get more nutmegs if we thought fit. For my part, I would willingly have got more nutmegs, though I had paid for them, but our people abhorred paying for anything, so we got about twelve ton more at several times, most of them from shore, and only a few in a small boat of the natives, which was going to Gilolo. We would have traded openly, the Dutch, who have made themselves masters of all these islands, forbade the people dealing with us, or any strangers whatever, and kept them so in awe that they durst not do it. 
so we could indeed have made nothing of it if we had stayed longer, and therefore resolved to be gone for Ternate, and see if we could make up our loading with clothes. Accordingly we stood away north, but found ourselves so entangled among innumerable islands, and without any pilot that understood the channel and races between them, that we were obliged to give it over, and resolved to go back again to Banda, and see what we could get among the other islands thereabouts. The first adventure we made here had like to have been fatal to us all, for the sloop, being ahead, made the signal to us for seeing a sail, and afterwards another, and a third, by which we understood she saw three sail, whereupon we made more sail to come up with her, but on a sudden were gotten among some rocks, falling foul upon them in such a manner as frightened us all very heartily, for having, it seems, but just water enough, as it were to an inch, our rudder struck upon the top of a rock, which gave us a terrible shock, and split a great piece off the rudder, and indeed disabled it so that our ship would not steer at all, at least not so as to be depended upon, and we were glad to hand all our sails, except our foremail and main topsail, and with them we stood away to the east to see if we could find any creek or harbour where we might lay the ship on shore and repair our rudder. Besides, we found the ship herself had received some damage, for she had some little leak near her stern post, but a great way under water. By this mischance we lost the advantages, whatever they were, of the three sail of ships, which we afterwards came to hear were small Dutch ships from Batavia, going from Banda and Ambonia, to load spice, and, no doubt, had a good quantity of money on board. Upon the disaster I have been speaking of, you may very well suppose that we came to an anchor as soon as we could, which was on a small island not far from Banda, where, though the Dutch keep no factory, yet they come at the season to buy nutmegs and mace. We stayed here thirteen days, but there being no place where we could lay the ship on shore, we sent the sloop to cruise among the islands to look for a place fit for us. In the meantime we got very good water here, some provisions, roots and fruits, and a good quantity of nutmegs and mace, which we found ways to trade with the natives for, without the knowledge of their masters, the Dutch. At length our sloop returned, having found another island where there was a very good harbour, and we ran in and came to an anchor. We immediately unbent all our sails, sent them ashore upon the island, and set up seven or eight tents with them. Then we unrigged our topmasts and cut them down, hoisted all our guns out, our provisions and loading, and put them ashore in the tents. With the guns we made two small batteries, for fear of a surprise, and kept a lookout upon the hill. When we were all ready, we laid the ship aground upon a hard sand, the upper end of the harbour, and shored her up on each side. At low water, 
she lay almost dry, so we mended her bottom, and stopped the leak, which was occasioned by straining some of the rudder irons with the shock which the ship had against the rock. Having done this, we also took occasion to clean her bottom, which, having been at sea so long, was very foul. The sloop washed and tallowed also, but was ready before us, and cruised eight or ten days among the islands, but met with no purchase, so that we began to be tired of the place, having little to divert us, but the most furious claps of thunder that ever were heard, or read of, in the world. We were in hopes to have met with some purchase here, among the Chinese, who, we had been told, came to Ternate to trade for cloves, and to Banda Isles for nutmegs, and we would have been very glad to have loaded our galleon, or great ship, with these two sorts of spice, and having thought it a glorious voyage. But we found nothing stirring more than what I have said, except Dutchmen, who, by what means we could not imagine, had either a jealousy of us, or intelligence of us, and kept themselves close in their ports. I was once resolved to have made a descent at the island of Dumas, the place most famous for the best nutmegs. But friend William, who was always for doing our business without fighting, dissuaded me from it, and gave such reasons for it that we could not resist, particularly the great heats of the season, and of the place, for we were now in the latitude of just half a degree south. But while we were disputing this point, we were soon determined by the following accident. We had a strong gale of wind at south-west by west, and the ship had fresh way, but a great sea rolling in upon us from the northeast, which we afterwards found was the pouring in of the great ocean east of New Guinea. However, as I said, we stood away large, and made fresh way, when, on the sudden, from a dark cloud which hovered over our heads, came a flash, or rather blast, of lightning, which was so terrible, and quivered so long among us, that not I only, but all our men, thought the ship was on fire. The heat of the flash, or fire, was so sensibly felt in our faces, that some of our men had blisters raised by it on their skins, not immediately, perhaps, by the heat, but by the poisonous or noxious particles which mixed themselves with the matter inflamed. But this was not all. The shock of the air, which the fracture in the clouds made, was such that our ship shook as when a broadside is fired, and her motion being checked, as it were, at once, by a repulse superior to the force that gave her way before, the sails all flew back in a moment, and the ship lay, as we might truly say, thunder struck. As the blast from the cloud was so very near us, it was but a few moments after the flash that the terriblest clap of thunder followed that was ever heard by mortals. I firmly believe a blast of a hundred thousand barrels of gunpowder could not have been greater to our hearing, nay, 
indeed, to some of our men it took away their hearing. It is not possible for me to describe, or anyone to conceive, the terror of that moment. Our men were in such a consternation that not a man on board the ship had presence of mind to apply to the proper duty of a sailor, except friend William, and had he not run very nimbly, and with a composure that I am sure I was not master of, to let go the foresheet set in the weather-brace of the foreyard, and haul down the topsails, we had certainly brought all our masts by the board, and perhaps have been overwhelmed by the sea. As for myself, I must confess, my eyes were open to my danger, though not the least to anything of application for remedy. I was all amazement and confusion, and this was the first time that I can say I began to feel the effects of that horror which I know sense much more of upon the just reflection on my former life. I thought myself doomed by heaven to sink that moment into eternal destruction, and with this peculiar mark of terror, viz., that the vengeance was not executed in the ordinary way of human justice, but that God had taken me into his immediate disposing, and had resolved to be the executor of his own vengeance. Let them alone describe the confusion I was in, who knew what was the case of John Child of Shadwell or Francis Spira. It is impossible to describe it. My soul was all amazement and surprise. I thought myself just sinking into eternity, owning the divine justice of my punishment, but not at all feeling any of the moving, softening tokens of a sincere penitent, afflicted at the punishment, but not at the crime, alarmed at the vengeance, but not terrified at the guilt, having the same gust to the crime, though terrified to the last degree at the thought of the punishment, which I concluded I was just now going to receive. But perhaps many that read this will be sensible of the thunder and lightning, that may think nothing of the rest, or rather may make a jest of it all. So I say no more of it at this time, but proceed to the story of the voyage. When the amazement was over, and the men began to come to themselves, they fell a-calling for one another, every one for his friend, or for those he had most respect for and it was a singular satisfaction to find that nobody was hurt. The next thing was to inquire if the ship had received no damage, when the boatswain, stepping forward, found that part of the head was gone, but not so as to endanger the bowsprit. So we hoisted our topsails again, hauled aft the foresheet, braced the yards, and went our course as before, nor can I deny but that we were all somewhat like the ship, our first astonishment being a little over, and that we found the ship swim again, we were soon the same irreligious, hardened crew that we were before, 
and I among the rest. As we now steered, our course lay north-northeast, and we passed, thus, with a fair wind, through the strait or channel between the island of Gilolo and the land of Nova Guinea, when we were soon in the open sea or ocean, on the southeast of the Philippines, being the great Pacific or South Sea, where it may be said to join itself with the vast Indian Ocean. As we passed into these seas, steering due north, so we soon crossed the line to the north side, and so sailed on towards Mindanao and Manila, the chief of the Philippine Islands, without meeting with any purchase till we came to the northward of Manila, and then our trade began for here we took three Japanese vessels, though at some distance from Manila. Two of them had made their market, and were going home with nutmegs, cinnamon, cloves, etc., besides all sorts of European goods brought with the Spanish ships from Acapulco. They had, together, eight and thirty ton of cloves, and five or six ton of nutmegs, and as much cinnamon. We took the spice, but meddled very little of the European goods, they being, as we thought, not worth our while. But we were very sorry for it soon after, and therefore grew wiser upon the next occasion. The third Japanese was the best prize to us, for he came with money, and a great deal of gold uncoined, to buy such goods as we mentioned above. We eased him of his gold, and did him no other harm, and having no intention to stay long here, we stood away for China. We were at sea above two months upon this voyage, beating it up against the wind, which blew steadily from the northeast, and within a point or two one way or other. And this, indeed, was the reason why we met with more prizes in our voyage." We were just gotten clear of the Philippines, and we proposed to go to the island of Formosa, but the wind blew so fresh at north-northeast that there was no making anything of it, and we were forced to put back to Laconia, the most northerly of those islands. We rode here very secure, and shifted our situation, not in view of any danger, for there was none, but for a better supply of provisions, which we found the people very willing to supply us with. There lay, while we remained here, three very great galleons, or Spanish ships, from the South Seas. Whether newly come in or ready to sail, we could not understand at first. But, as we found the China traders began to load and set forward to the north, we concluded the Spanish ships had newly unloaded their cargo, and these had been buying, so we doubted not but we should meet with purchase in the rest of the voyage, neither, indeed, could we well miss of it. We stayed here till the beginning of May, when we were told the Chinese traders would set forward, for the northern monsoons end about the latter end of March, or beginning of April, so that they are sure of fair winds home. Accordingly, we hired some of the country boats, which are very swift sailors, to go and bring us word how affairs stood at Manila, and when the Chinese junks would sail. 
and by this intelligence we ordered our matters so well that three days after we set sail we fell in with no less than eleven of them out of which however having by misfortune of discovering ourselves taken but three we contented ourselves and pursued our voyage to formosa in these three vessels we took in short such a quantity of cloves nutmegs cinnamon and mace besides silver that our men began to be of my opinion that we were rich enough and in short we had nothing to do now but to consider by what methods to secure the immense treasure we had got i was secretly glad to hear that they were of this opinion for i had long before resolved if it were possible to persuade them to think of returning having fully perfected my first projected design of rummaging among the spice islands and all those prizes which were exceeding rich at manila was quite beyond my design but now i had heard what the men said and how they thought we were very well i let them know by friend william that i intended only to sail to the island of formosa where i should find opportunity to turn our spices and europe goods into ready money and that then i would tack about for the south the northern monsoons being perhaps by that time also ready to set in they all approved of my design and willingly went forward because besides the winds which would not permit until october to go to the south i say besides this we were now a very deep ship having near two hundred tons of goods on board and particularly some very valuable the sloop also had a proportion with this resolution we went on cheerfully when within about twelve days sail more we made the island formosa at a great distance but were ourselves shot beyond the southernmost part of the island being to leeward and almost upon the coast of china here we were a little at a loss for the english factories were not far off and we might be obliged to fight some of their ships if we met with them which though we were able enough to do yet we did not desire it on many accounts and particularly because we did not think it was our business to have it known who we were or that such a kind of people as we had been seen on the coast however we were obliged to keep to the northward keeping as good an offing as we could with respect to the coast of china we had not sailed long but we chased a small chinese junk and having taken her we found she was bound to the island of formosa having no goods on board but some rice and a small quantity of tea but she had three chinese merchants in her and they told us that they were going to meet a large vessel of their country which came from tonkin and lay in a river in formosa whose name i forgot and they were going to the philippine islands with silks muslins calicoes and such goods as are the product of china and some gold that their business was to sell their cargo and buy spices and european goods this suited very well with our purpose so i resolved now that we would leave off being pirates 
and turn merchants. So we told them what goods we had on board, and that, if they would bring their supercargoes or merchants on board, we would trade with them. They were very willing to trade with us, but terribly afraid to trust us. Nor was it an unjust fear, for we had plundered them already of what they had. On the other hand, we were as diffident as they, and very uncertain what to do. But William the Quaker put this matter into a way of barter. He came to me and told me he really thought the merchants looked like fair men, that meant honestly. And besides, says William, it is their interest to be honest now, for as they know upon what terms we got the goods, we are to truck with them, so they know we can afford good pennyworths, and in the next place it saves them going the whole voyage, so that the southerly monsoons, yet holding, if they traded with us, they could immediately return with their cargo to China, though, by the way, we afterwards found they intended for Japan. But that was all one, for by this means they saved at least eight months' voyage. Upon these foundations, William said he was satisfied we might trust them. For, says William, I would as soon trust a man whose interest binds him to be just to me, as a man whose principle binds himself. Upon the whole, William proposed that two of the merchants should be left on board our ship as hostages, and that part of our goods should be loaded in their vessel, and let the third go with it into the port where their ship lay. And when he had delivered the spices, he should bring back such things as it was agreed should be exchanged. This was concluded on, and William the Quaker ventured to go along with them, which, upon my word, I should not have cared to have done, nor was I willing that he should. But he went still upon the notion that it was their interest to treat him friendly. End of section 21 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox